So if you have your Bible in your hand, turn to the, to the New Testament, from the Old Testament book of Psalms, to the New Testament. And we are continuing our way through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. You remember, two weeks ago, we looked at this call to put off the old self that belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and then to put on the new self, created after the image of God and true righteousness and holiness. And, and our new self as believers is ultimately Christ, that as believers we're called to, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to make no provision for the flesh. And then flowing out of that command to, to put off the old self and put on the new self, Paul's going to move through a series of practical examples where he shows what it is to put off the former manner of life, to put on the new life in Christ. Now, as I got into this on, in chapter 4, I was originally going to do 25 to the end of this chapter, uh, but then it sometimes happens to me, I, I got into verse 25 and was struck by how much we, we have to talk about in verse 25. And so today we're going to focus on verse 25. The next week we'll unpack the larger context uh, to the end of the, the chapter, Lord willing. So again, this is the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and I'm going to read just verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Oh, Father, we pray that, that you would shine the light of your spirit, that your word would pass through our ears, into our heart, that it would settle deep within us, and that from there it would flow back out in love, in worship, in service, in adoration, in obedience, that it would not come back void as you promise. As we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you've seen the old Jim Carrey movie called Liar, Liar. Uh, and the basic premise of the movie is that he is a hotshot lawyer who lies for a living. And then he's cursed to have to tell the truth for a time. And of course, it's basically impossible for him to do his job as a lawyer if he can't lie. But it's an interesting thought experiment to think about the world. Imagine the world without lies. Imagine the world if, if no one would utter falsehood, if we spoke the truth all the time. Think of how different our, our politics would be. Think of how different our church life would be. Think about how different our intake of, of media would be. Think about what it would do for 
our relationships. Think about what it would do for our, our ability to shade our, our sin from the light of the sun. Imagine what true honesty would do for your marriage, for your friendships, for your relationships with your children. And that's what Paul is showing us here in this text. As we're, we're called to, to put off the old self, put on the new self, He's calling us to put off falsehood, to put away falsehood, and then to put on truth, to speak truth to one another. So let's start with that first part that you see in verse 25, to put away falsehood. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You look at that word, falsehood, and you say, well, what is falsehood? How do we give a true definition of falsehood? And we could say that that falsehood is anything that does not correspond to God's revelation. And that God in the world has given us two streams of revelation. He's given us what's called special revelation. That's what we have in the Bible. So we could say that that falsehood is anything that does not correspond to the truth of God's word in the Bible when it is interpreted correctly. Anything contrary to this book is falsehood. But then God has also given us not just special revelation in the Bible. He has given us general revelation in nature that we, we know that things are true because we made a careful study of the world around us. When you took algebra, your algebra lessons were not direct quotes from the Bible, but yet you know that one answer was right and one answer was wrong. There's truth and falsehood, and we see that for all sorts of areas as we look at the world around us, this, this common grace wisdom that we have in studying God's creation. But you can see that with both of those, the source of truth is God himself. Whether we are encountering that truth from the scriptures, from a study of creation, of nature, that God is the standard of truth. He is truth within himself. That ultimately he is the one who guarantees truth Any falsehood is contrary to the very nature and character of God, who himself is truth. So that's what falsehood is. Anything contrary to general and special revelation of God, to the very character of God. But as we look at verse 25, notice that that Paul says that we should put away falsehood. You say, well, why? What does this mean? Well, this is something that is taught elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, it it makes it into the the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, the Ten Commandments take different categories of sin, and then it gives us the most extreme version of that sin. So within sexual sin, adultery 
is the most extreme form. And so it says, thou shall not commit adultery. And same thing in the ninth commandment, it says you shouldn't bear false witness to lie under oath in a court of law. But flowing out of that is this principle of truth, that we shouldn't lie, that we should be people committed to truth as believers. We see it stated elsewhere in Scripture, Leviticus 19.11. says, you shall not lie to one another. Or Psalm 101, verse 7. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Or in parallel to our text in Ephesians, Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Or you'll even remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount when he's applying the deeper principles of the law. He says, yes, the, the, the scripture says that you shouldn't bear false witness. But underneath the surface is this commitment to truth that as believers, we should be people who have our yes be yes and our no be no. That what we say is what we mean. That what we mean is what we say, that we speak truth. So you could say it like this, that as believers, that we should have a deep commitment never to lie never to utter anything that is false. But then as you examine your own heart, think about your own life, you say, do I ever speak what is false? Have I put away falsehood? Think of all the the subtle ways that we are tempted to lie to one another. And we try to cloak it in the language of a a white lie, an innocent falsehood. But according to scripture, there's no such thing as an innocent falsehood. There's no such thing as a, a white lie. But yet we practice falsehood. You can think of parents. As a parent, I can testify to how easy it is to lie to your children in subtle ways. Your, children, your child comes into the kitchen right before bed and says, are you eating cake? And you go, no, I'm not eating cake. Because they've already brushed their teeth. You don't want to explain. It can be simpler. We try to avoid causing a stir. Or sometimes a child will come to a parent and say, mommy, where do babies come from? And it's easy to tell a falsehood to try to avoid having a a difficult conversation. Or sometimes you'll even see parents lie to their children in order to manipulate them into some kind of outward obedience. If you don't get into the car, we're going to leave you here at the park. (laughs) You're not going to actually leave them at the park. (laughs) But yet we can use falsehood to manipulate, to try to control those around us. You see the same thing in marriage. The wife comes to the husband, are you angry? No, I'm fine. Clearly the husband is angry. But yet it's translating as, I don't want to talk about it right now, but we, we utter 
falsehood to try to avoid conflict in the moment. We feel like we don't have time to have that hard conversation right now, so it's easier to lie. Or you can think about the way that people interact with acquaintances, especially acquaintances that they may not like that much. And this is about truthhood, truth and falsehood. And, and so we all can think of people that we find it's hard to love. And it's easy to say when they say, hey, let's get together, you say, I would love to get together. Let me check my calendar. Then you never get back to the person. And what it translates is, no, I do not want to get together with you. Uh, and I'm going to continue to delay and never actually do it. That we, we speak falsehood. Or sometimes we use falsehood to try to shield ourselves from the appearance of failure or wrongdoing or sin. You're late for a meeting and you say, oh, it, the traffic was terrible. But in reality, you had to finish that Netflix show and what you're really saying to the person is, I don't value your time that much. Or you, you, could, you could think of you're late on a report at work and you say, oh, I was so busy this week. And really that means that you forgot. You didn't think about doing it. There are so many ways that we utter subtle lies, subtle falsehood. And we do it, I think, because we want to control the situation. That at the very heart of lies, at the very heart of falsehood is control, it's pride, and then often it's fear that we wonder what people will say if we actually tell the truth. We wonder what, what people will do if we tell the truth. And so if we shape reality in our minds, that we can control the situation. And that as a result, then we, we lie to ourselves. Sometimes we lie to ourselves, making ourselves out to be better than we actually are. Sometimes we lie to ourselves, making ourselves out to be worse in any given situation. To, to say, tell yourself that you have no value, that you're unimportant, that we lie to ourselves. We lie to others around us, as I've outlined. But then we also lie about God. Remember that was the first great lie in the garden? Did God really say that Satan comes as the, the father of lies. You could think of Cain in Genesis 4, after he murdered his brother. God comes to him, and he lies to God. And we do the same thing. We know intellectually that God knows all things, but we try to make ourselves look more religious than we actually are in hypocrisy. We try to make ourselves look better than we actually are, that we lie to God. And this is serious according to Scripture. Remember I said that there's no such thing as a white lie? Because if we lie, what does that make us? People who lie? That when we lie, it makes us liars, fundamentally. And look, listen to what the Bible says about liars. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. This is at the very end of your Bible. Revelation 21, verse 8. 
21, verse 8. says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this is scripture. This is the word of God. And the Bible does say that there, there is no sin so heinous that if we repent and turn to the Lord that he will not forgive us. All manner of sin shall be forgiven. So no matter what you've done, if you turn to the Lord in repentance and faith, that you can experience complete forgiveness, washed white in the, the blood of the Lamb, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove sin from you. So this isn't saying that as believers struggling with sin that we have to fear judgment. But yet what, what is he saying? He's saying that if we claim to be believers, but we have a consistent pattern of unrepentant sin in our life, that it, it should cause us to call into question our commitment of, of faith. Do we really believe? And notice how, I almost said Paul, but um, John here, giving us this picture of, of the, the end, that he lists liars with other sins, with the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, that if we, if we are liars, if we are persistent, unrepentant liars, that we face judgment according to Scripture. So the call then is to examine ourselves, to put on the new self, to put away falsehood with all of its practices, to speak truth to one another. And that's our, our second heading today. So we said first that we should put away falsehood. Put away lies. And I'll turn back in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 25 again. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So not only should we be those who put away falsehood, but he's saying that we should be those who are actively committed to truth, to speaking the truth. But we know that it's difficult to speak the truth. There are, there are many obstacles that come into our path when we desire to speak the truth. And here are a few that I thought of this week. The one is that sometimes... We don't believe in truth. Our culture says that there may be individual truths, but there is no objective, absolute standard of truth. Paul's saying that we should speak truth to one another, but if we don't believe in truth, then how are we going to speak truth to one another? That it starts with a conviction that there is objective truth. 
But then also, sometimes we may believe in objective truth, but we're very uncertain about what is actually true. And so we're unable to speak the truth to one another. And I think that comes especially when we don't have the Bible as our authority, when our own subjective minds are the measure of all things, that it's, it's the, the measure of truth. Well, by what standard are we going to speak truth? And then we're floating in this ocean of uncertainty, not knowing what is up, what is down. We don't know what is true because we don't have the objective standard of God. So we can't speak truth to one another. Or sometimes we operate out of the, the fear of man. I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons we speak falsehood is that we're afraid of what people will do or what people will say. But it's the same thing with truth, that we are afraid of other people. What will they say? What will they think? And so we either fail to speak the truth when we should speak, or sometimes we utter falsehood, that we were so afraid of others. But it says in Scripture that the, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Or sometimes, related to that, we can be incredibly conflict-averse. And that flows out of the fear of man. But there can be this attitude among believers that any kind of conflict is a sign of failure. That if somehow we were perfect, we would never have conflict with anyone, ever. But then you look at Jesus, the only perfect person who ever lived, and he was constantly facing conflict, not because of himself, but because of those around him, that if we were perfect, we would still face conflict, and that sometimes it can be right lovingly to enter into conflict, but yet we try to avoid conflict at any cost. So we're willing to remain silent when we should speak the truth. We're willing to utter falsehood because we want to maintain a superficial outward peace. That we can be a lot like the, the prophets in the Old Testament. It says that they would prophesy peace, peace, when there was no peace. And that's what we do. We become false prophets of peace, trying to maintain an outward superficial peace because we're unable to engage in meaningful conflict with others that actually could bring the fruit of, of reconciliation and true peace. But then ultimately, I would say that the obstacle for speaking the truth is a lack of love for those around us. I heard a pastor say that if a pastor really loves his people, that he won't be afraid to speak the truth. And that if you're afraid to say what is true, it's a sign that you don't actually love your people. And I think that that's exactly right, that it's, it's love for others that motivates our commitment to truth. And you see that even earlier in our text here. So if you, if you go back a few verses, Paul says that we should speak the truth to one another in 
love. Speak the truth, that is in uh, verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And that's so important as you think about a commitment to truth. And that's where the, the makers of the movie I mentioned, Liar, Liar, missed the biblical vision of truth. Because when Jim Carrey was cursed to tell the truth, that meant that he was rude and belligerent all the time. That, that no thought could go unspoken, that he was unkind to those around him. But that's not the biblical picture of truth. That, that if we are constantly going around in belligerence, telling people exactly what we think, because we believe in truth, that that is actually not truth, that, that truth is to be spoken truthfully, that truth is supposed to be brought in love, and if it's not brought in love, that it, it undermines the very claim of being truth, that, that truth is ultimately truth brought in love. Then you can think about what it looks like. What does it look like to speak the truth in love? Well, sometimes it'll come in the form of conflict. Sometimes it'll come in the form of rebuke, a difficult conversation where you have to speak the truth in love. But if we're only rebuking others, that we're, we're not really committed to truth, that if we're committed to truth, we should encourage as much or even more then we rebuke or challenge. Because that, that is also speaking the truth in love. There, there is so much in your brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage and to affirm, to, to build up. And so if we're committed to truth, yes, we're going to have hard conversations. Yes, we're going to encourage as well. And that's a good measure for yourself. You can ask yourself, do I find myself ever having hard conversations where I have to speak the truth? Do I find myself encouraging those around me? And maybe the call is to work on one side or the other, but it flows out of this deep commitment to truth, to speak the truth to one another. But then as we wrap up today, I want to, to point out our motivation for putting away falsehood and speaking truth to one another. Look again at verse 25 in your Bible. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for, this is his, his grounding, his, his rationale, for we are members one of another. And so Paul's showing that what he has in mind here is not primarily our speaking truth to power or speaking truth to the godless culture around us. That what, what Paul is highlighting is the, the truth that we speak in the body of Christ to other believers. He's saying that as, as believers, we are united to Christ. We're one body. We're members one of another. And so if I'm separated from you, if I have no connection to you, I can hold the truth for myself. 
but if we are connected to one another, if we are members one of another, if I love you and you love me, then we should put away falsehood and speak the truth to one another. And that's one of my great prayers for Hope Church, is that we would be a church that that speaks truth, that guards us against sin, that, that festers, it guards us against conflict, it guards us against falsehood, against heresy, against immorality, that it is such a great hedge for any community to be committed to truth on every level. That's my prayer for you, that's my prayer for me, that we can speak the truth. And that ultimately this flows out of the gospel, of what Jesus did for us. That God comes as truth itself. That Jesus comes as truth incarnate. That if we want to know the truth, we look to Jesus. If we want to see what the truth looks like lived out in the world, we look to Jesus. If we want to know what it looks like to put away falsehood and to speak the truth in love, that we look to Jesus. And it is ultimately in Christ, when we repent of our sins and trust in him, that we're freed from lying to ourselves. We don't have to lie to ourselves because we know, yes, on the one hand, we are so sinful that the Son of God had to die to redeem us, but also so loved that he was willing to die. We don't have to lie to one another. We don't have to control the situation. We don't have to guard our appearance to the outside world because our identity is Christ. He is in control. We can be transparent. And ultimately, we don't have to lie to God because we are clothed in Christ, that we come bearing our hearts to the God who knows us more deeply than anyone else, but who loves us more passionately be known and loved in Christ through the gospel then calls us to, to put away falsehood or as we will see in chapter 6 he says to put on the breastplate of, of truth to put on truth that we can face any conflict any suffering that comes in our path in this life let's pray dear father we come to you repenting of our sin. We come to you aware that we so often can speak falsehood, whether it's a, what seems to us a very small lie to maintain some sort of outward peace, or, or whether it's something deeper and, and more pernicious. Um, Lord, we pray that we would put on the, the belt of truth, uh, that we would put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, that, that we would be able to stand in that day. Lord, give us um, the desire to, to conform our lives to the, to the truth of your word in general revelation and, and special revelation, whether from nature or from the Bible, that, that we would see your truth as truth, that we would see no conflict between your truth when we are interpreting it correctly. And Lord, yes, we recognize that sometimes we, we make mistakes, we err, uh, we misunderstand things, we misapply things. So Lord, we pray for the, the gradual process of sanctification, drawing us more and more to the truth, more and more to Christ. And, and we pray that, that this commitment to truth 
would characterize not only our lives individually, but as we are members one of another, that we would be committed to truth in Hope Church, in our relationship to the world, and that it would be speaking the truth in love, following the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray in his name. Amen.